All right, so this week we're going to look at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 13 through 20. And last week we looked at the atonement a little bit. And um, looked at one theory of the atonement. Does anyone remember what the name of that theory is? Daniel? Penal substitution theory of the atonement. Which basically says that God did what to his son? Poured out his wrath on his son on the cross. The wrath that we supposedly that we deserve, uh, God supposedly poured that out on his son. But hopefully you saw last week that that wasn't true and the, the proof texts that are used to support such a view uh, don't say what people say they say. And in the near future, I'm going to be doing another video on the atonement talking about what actually did happen at the cross. And uh, maybe I'll, we'll share that when that time comes as well. The week before that, we talked about the Beatitudes. Matthew 5, 1 through 12. What does it mean to be poor in the Spirit? Brother John? Broken, okay. Daniel? Spiritually bankrupt. To come to the realization that you can do nothing to earn favor with God, nothing to deserve a place in the kingdom of heaven, that you, you are in debt to God because sin, the wages of sin is what? Death. We're not talking about physical death now. We're talking about the second death being cast into the lake of fire. That's the wages of sin. That's what you earn by sinning. And uh, it's like the, we talked about the parable of the unmerciful servant. He came before the king. He had a huge debt, didn't he? He had a huge debt. So many years of the debt, he could never pay it back. But it was forgiven of him. It was pardoned by the king. We also looked at peacemakers. Are peacemakers those people who go between two countries and get them to settle a dispute and have some kind of treaty for a while? Is that what a peacemaker is in the Bible? What's a peacemaker in the Bible? Very good, Malachi. He's a minister of reconciliation. Someone who is trying to reconcile sinners back to God. Not someone who breaks up a, a fight in downtown in the bar and club district. Oh, that, that could be part of it as well. But someone who's a minister of reconciliation, someone who's trying to help sinners find peace with God through the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what a peacemaker is. <clears throat> and we saw that, that two weeks ago when we talked about the Beatitudes, that when you are doing the things as a Christian, this is the Christian life in Matthew 5, 1 through 12, it's the Matthew's road of salvation, not the Roman's road of salvation, which is so shallow in my, my view. It's the Matthew's road of salvation, that when you follow this path, verse 11 and 12 will happen to you. You will be persecuted for righteousness' sake. You need to prepare yourself and gird yourself for it, because this world hates righteousness. Just as much as Jesus hates lawlessness, they hate righteousness. And they'll lie about you, they'll say things. I mean, we went to NTSU this past Thursday. One of the most reprobate campuses I've ever been to. And they said things so filthy this past Thursday, I wouldn't even think about repeating them. And they'll accuse you of all kinds of things to your face. They'll throw things at you. I mean, they threw, they were, uh, the whole day they were throwing stuff at me while I was preaching. They threw a, a cup of, uh, I don't know what was in I think it was water or Sprite or something, like uh, a fountain cup. They threw it at my back and it got me all wet and... And, but they had the nerve throughout this whole thing, cussing at me, blaspheming God's name, saying things false, they're going to be throwing things at me, to call me hateful and to call themselves loving. You see how backwards the world has it? 
They call good evil and evil good. So we need to prepare ourselves. I mean, that's just a, that's just a little taste. And I heard one homosexual who was there who, who hates both of us. He said, to, said right in front of the police officer, said, if I didn't think there was any threat of, of getting in trouble, oh, I'd bleep, 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 bleep them. That's what he would do to us. So the law of the land is constrained. But you think the law of the land is going to last? When the Antichrist comes and the New World Order is, is installed, you think the law of the land is going to last? We see it deteriorating already as it is. Cops being unlawful, not even knowing what the Constitution says, they're not even caring. So that's the only thing restraining the sinner. What's going to happen when that restraint is not there anymore? Be ready. Be ready. So today we're going to look at verses 13 through 20. And of course, Jesus is continuing his thought process here. In verses 1 through 12, he's giving the Christian life. The citizen of, king, of the kingdom of heaven's life. And now he's going to contrast that with what someone wouldn't, isn't like who's a part of the kingdom of heaven. Verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its flavor, how shall it be seasoned? It is then good for nothing but to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that I may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I came to destroy the law or the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle by no means pass from the law to all is fulfilled. Whoever therefore breaks one of these least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. So we are salt, according to Jesus. Now what does salt do? What does salt do to food? Seasons it. Gives it flavor. It preserves food. Right? Right? Salt can also irritate a wound. Here, Paul poured uh, salt on a slug before. It kills it. It kills it. Uh, it melts ice when there's ice on the roads. Purifies water. So let's apply some of these things to us. As a Christian, we bring preservation to this world. But not just by being here. I mean, to some degree, maybe by being here. I mean, if you go back to the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, Abraham's talking to God. God's about to destroy the city. And, and, and he has this kind of bargaining thing with God. He says, well, what about, there's 50 righteous people there. And all the way down to 10. Or, I'm sorry, all the way down to 10. And he says, well, I won't destroy the city. So there's, there's a preservation there in Sodom and Gomorrah. If there would have been a, ten righteous people there, God would have held back his wrath and his judgment and would have not have poured it out on Sodom and Gomorrah. So there's a, there's a preservation just by being where we are and by living for Jesus Christ. But then you go to the story of, uh, of Noah's Ark. And there was eight righteous people in the whole world. Did it stop God from killing the rest of the world? Sure didn't. 
So that, that doesn't, just because there's Christians in the world doesn't mean it preserves that city or that state or anything from the judgment and wrath of God. God can save his people from his judgment and wrath and still bring it down upon the people who deserve it. We bring flavor to the world. We bring flavor to the world. What this world is supposed to be is what we are in this world. We're a good taste in the Lord's mouth. But who's a bad taste in the Lord's mouth? Mm-hmm. Hypocrites too. What did Jesus say in Revelation? I will spew you out of my mouth. Doesn't taste very good. Lukewarm water doesn't taste very good. In God's mouth, he wants us to be holy and on fire for him. Irritates, burns. In a world that is sin-sick and that are full of spiritual lepers, you pour some, some salt on the open swords of a spiritual leper, and what's going to happen to them? They're going to be irritated. <sighs> Unless they come to the cleansing fount of the blood of Jesus Christ. And stop being a spiritual leper. But as long as they stay a spiritual leper and stay in their sins, you preach the whole counsel of God to them, and the irritation of the salt of the earth begins to burn and irritate, and they're, they're full of wrath towards you. When we were preaching this, this past Thursday at MTSU, I, just, I was just sitting there. They were going so crazy, I decided just to stop preaching for a second, just listen. And the first thing that came to mind was Psalm chapter 2 and verse 1. Why do the nations rage? What and the people plot a vain thing? Whatever they were plotting, whatever they were saying was vain. They think that by insulting us, that they hurt us. They're hurting themselves. They think that by making wicked plans in their heart that if there was no police, they would kill us or they would hurt us. That they're somehow having victory. That's a vain thing. They don't have any victory. They're, they're destroying themselves by even thinking of such a thing. But yet they rage on anyway. And I think we got a picture of how Jesus felt when he was standing before Pilate. And he said, you're king. And they said, crucify him, crucify him. The world is not worthy of him. And the world, if you're living the life you should be, is not worthy of you either. You're a pilgrim and an alien and stranger in this place. This is not your final resting place. So as salt of the earth, we preserve, we season, and we irritate. We're not striving to irritate. We're not purposely going out to irritate and annoy people. If you preach the whole counsel of God, the spiritual lepers will rise up Unless they come to the fount for cleansing and they don't have the spiritual leprosy anymore, they're going to rise up and they're going to hate you for it. Well, John, you want to hear something you want to add? Yeah, in wounds, yes, it does irritate, but uh, eventually it will heal. Uh, salt is a healing uh, agent also. Right. So you may not see that. But. Yeah, if it's allowed to do its work, it'll heal. But if the sinner washes the salt off its wound because it irritates and it burns, it won't do any good for them. It's like the sinner hears the word of God. They don't allow it to receive into the soil of their heart and bring forth the tree of righteousness. They reject it. And uh, salt doesn't do its work. But if salt loses, if salt, regular salt now, if it loses its flavor, it loses its ability to take care of life, it loses its ability to preserve, is it good for anything? And we have a lot of professing Christians in this world that are good-for-nothing Christians. 
They don't preserve. They don't irritate. They don't bring purity. They don't bring seasoning to this world. And Jesus says they're good for nothing to be trampled on underfoot by men. They're good for nothing. Don't be one of those. Don't be one of those. And be, be watchful of the fear of man, which is a snare. And have the fear of God. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. The shoe that is set on a hill cannot be hidden. Isn't it ironic that when John 8, 12, <laughs> Jesus calls himself the light of the world. He says, then Jesus spoke to them. This is after he spoke to the woman caught in adultery. He said, there, go and sin no more. And he says, I am the light of the world. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. He who follows me shall not walk in darkness to have the light of life. So in order to have the light of life, you must follow Jesus. You must walk in his ways. This goes along very, very nicely with 1 John chapter 1, verses 5-7, through 7, which says, God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, no darkness at all, then we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses from all sin. We must be walking in the light. And it's not as if we have light within ourselves. I want you to picture it like this. We have the sun in the sky, right? And we have the moon. Does the moon by itself have any illuminating power? Sure it doesn't. Where does it get its light from? The sun. What if the moon gets out of place? Can you see it anymore? No. Are there parts of the moon that you can't see? Because it's not reflecting the sun. When you stay in the sun and you abide in him, you will reflect his light to the whole world. You'll be a full moon at all times. And you'll do what you're made to do. To reflect him. To walk in the light. As you're supposed to. But if you re refuse to walk in the light... You're like a moon that shines no light upon the earth. And once again, you're good for nothing. A moon that brings no light is a piece of dirt in the sky. And a human being that does not shine the light of Jesus Christ is a piece of clay made from the dirt of the earth, like Adam was. And one day, that person will realize they wish they would have been a moon to the sun. If we, were, if we shine Christ's glory like we should, we bring light to everywhere, everywhere we are. Everywhere the moon is, it brings light. It is properly reflecting the light of the sun. But if you're not properly reflecting the light of the sun, you're not going to be a light to anybody. And you know where light shines the brightest? Why is the moon out during the night? It's darkness. That's why the moon doesn't really do much. You see the moon out during the day sometimes, does it do anything for you? The sun's out. The sun's out. You don't need the moon. But when the, So if you're around a bunch of people who already have light and you never get out into the darkness, are you doing your job? What's the point of, of having a flashlight when it's night? It's, it's daytime out. Go use a flashlight outside right now and see what it does for you. Doesn't make much sense, does it? The same way it doesn't make sense to stay within the body of believers and never go out into the darkness... And dispel the dark with your light that Christ has given you. Doesn't make much sense. And a city that's set on a hill 
uh, cannot be hidden. You don't put a sit in a hill so you can hide it. If you play hide and seek, you don't go stand on top of the hill where the person can see you. That wouldn't make any sense. Nor do they lay a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand. And it gives light to all who are in the house. Now, if you walked into a house, and all the lamps in the house were turned upside down, and they're put under a basket, what would you think about that? That's unnatural. Not what it was meant for. It's not fulfilling its purpose in life. Not fulfilling its purpose in life. You want purpose in life? Go preach the gospel. That's your purpose. But some people, they're like these people who put their lights under a, under, a, uh, under a basket. They're ashamed of Jesus Christ. They won't say a word for him. They won't speak out for him. They won't stand up against ungodliness for him. They put their light under a basket. Is that what their light is made for? Why are they putting it under a basket? Shame. Shame. Let's look at Mark chapter 8. <clears throat> verse 30 and verse 34. For the things we're talking about in mind right now, I want you to apply the things your mind is on track to think about to this scripture passage through verse 38. When Jesus had called the people to himself, with his disciples also, he said to them, Who desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Forever is ashamed of me and my words. And this adulterous and sinful generation of him the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. You know why people are ashamed of the gospel more than anything else? Life preservation. They want to preserve their own life. They don't want to lay down their life. They want to save their life. They don't want to lose their life for Christ and the gospel. And by doing it, actually save their life. They want to save their life by not speaking up and having enmity with the world. And therefore, they actually lose their life. What is If I were to come to you in the middle of the night when you're sleeping, 3 o'clock in the morning, and take this really high beam flashlight and shine it in your face while you're sleeping. How would you like that? Wouldn't like it, would you? What would you try to do? Ah. When the world is sitting in darkness and loving their darkness and in their sin and used to their darkness and you come with the bright light of Jesus Christ and you shine it. They have two options. They can adjust to the light, come into the light, deal up their deeds done in darkness, or they can try to snuff out that light. And what do we read happened in the Beatitudes? It happened to the prophets and Jesus and all the peoples who came before us. They snuffed them out. That's the only defense they have if they don't want to give up their deeds done in darkness. If they want to stay in their darkness, 
with their eyes the way it is. They don't want to let their eyes adjust and come into the light, the glorious light of Jesus Christ, and give up their deeds done in darkness. They want to stay in the darkness. So they'll try to snuff you out. And so many people are so concerned with this, because it's a fact, friends. If you stand up against the darkness, you will have enmity between you and them, naturally speaking. And you must fear God more than man. You're not a light that's meant to be put under a basket. You're a light that's meant to be shining in the darkest of places. And that's where you'll have the greatest impact. It's where the darkest places are. For the light will shine the greatest. The darkest places are. Jesus goes on to say, Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good deeds, your good works, and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, Jesus is saying, uh, go out and do good deeds and keep your mouth shut. And, and then people will see your good deeds and they'll become Christians. They'll see the twinkle in your eye and say, man, there's something different between him and me. I, I want to be what he is. Now, if I go out and do good deeds and never say a word about Jesus or whose name I'm doing those deeds in, who is the person going to praise, me or God? Yeah, oh, he's just a good guy. I really appreciate him. Look, he's helping the old lady across the street. He's volunteering at the soup kitchen. He's giving his money away to the poor. And doing it all in the name of Kerrigan. How does that bring glory to God? So God, Jesus isn't, isn't promoting here these works you do and keep your mouth shut. The world would love that. They'd love it if you kept your mouth shut. I was putting together a newsletter for the ministry this, this past week and I was recounting some things I did last semester. One was UT Knoxville. It was reminding of these homosexuals came out with these signs, this yellow sign that says love, and, and it gave rules to holding this sign, this love sign, this yellow sign with the black letters love there. And they said, uh, you have to hold the sign, be respectful of everybody, be tolerant of everybody, and keep silent. See, from their point of view, love is silent. They'd love for you to keep your mouth shut, Christian. They'd love for you not to say a word to them. If you were about your own business and did nothing, like maybe like the Amish people do or the Mennonite people do sometimes, if you did your own thing and didn't say a word to anyone, it wasn't salt to the earth to be irritating to their leprous wounds, they would love you. The Lord loves those kind of Christians. Because then they can go about their own business without having the conscience of the world, the light of the world coming upon them and exposing their deeds done in darkness. They would love that. That's the kind of Christian of the world and Satan loves. Who keep their mouth shut. So the light Jesus is talking about here, not a light that keeps quiet, not a light that keeps his mouth shut. If we don't speak, how will they know? It's just like Psalm 119, 105 says. It says this, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So as you preach the word of God, it's a lamp not only to your feet, as you study it and read it and obey it, it's a lamp and a light unto the people who are sitting in darkness. And if you don't shine that light from them, they're still walking around in darkness. That's all it is. Jesus wanted to say, Do not think that I come to destroy the law of the prophets. I do not come to destroy it, but to fulfill. Now what is the law and the prophets? One of Jesus' uses of these two words together means the whole Old Testament. That's what it means. The whole Old Testament. And Jesus is saying, I do not come to destroy the Old Testament. I come 
to fulfill the Old Testament. In what way? Well, in one sense, he's coming to fulfill it that he completely obeys it, when no one else has. He's also coming to fulfill prophecies that are prophesied in the prophets. But not only that, he's coming to bring the fullest expression of the law. That's what we're going to see throughout the next few weeks. We're going to see Jesus saying, you heard said all that you do this, I tell you this. You heard said all this, I tell you this. And he takes it further to its fullest expression. Because as we'll see in a second, your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And they didn't understand the fullest expression of the law. At all. In fact, what, what, is the, uh, what is the fulfillment of the law according to Jesus? Well, let's look at Matthew chapter 22. It'll be a long time before we probably touch on this again. <coughs> Maybe next year sometime we'll get to the scripture, this passage. But Matthew 22, uh, starting in verse 36. It's a lawyer asking Jesus a question. He says, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Here's a key verse. Listen up. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. You want to fulfill the law? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That fulfills the whole of the law. There's no worrying about doing this and not doing this, doing this and not doing this. If you do these two things, you're obeying God. Period. You're fulfilling the law. Period. Romans 13.10 says something similar. I just want to point it out to you. Romans 13.10 says this after Jesus goes, after the the Apostle Paul goes through the commandments. Let's well, start in verse 8. Uh, Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And there's any other commandment are all summed up in this saying. Namely, shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of of the law. And then 1 Timothy 1 5. Now the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith, from which some, having strayed, have turned aside to idle talk. So what's the purpose of the commandment? Love from a pure heart from a good conscience, and from sincere faith. And love is a fulfillment of law. That's what Jesus came to promote here. That love doesn't just go to your external actions here. Your heart. Your intentions, the motivations of your heart. So Christ came to fulfill it by obeying it completely, fulfilling prophecy, and bringing its full expression to light to the people who are being taught by the Pharisees and Sadducees who are leading them astray. For surely I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all is filled. Now what is a jot and a tittle? A jot is, in the Greek here is, is iota, and in the Hebrew it would be yod. We transliterate it to jot in the, in the English, but it's a yod. 
And a yod is the smallest letter in the Hebrew alphabet. It's about the same size as an English uh, apostrophe. The same size. Very small letter. Okay? And, uh, and a tittle. What is a tittle? Well, if you've if ever used a serif font on your computer, you'll see that there's the regular fonts have an A, you know, a regular A. But the serif font has this little thing off to the side, the bottom base. That's called a serif. And the size of that serif is about the same size as a tittle. So Jesus is saying here, Look, I'm not coming to destroy the law. I'm not coming to abolish it. I'm not coming to do away with any of it. I'm here to fulfill it. And to bring you the, the, uh, the full expression of it, it's not by doing this, that, this, and that. It's by love. Loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. That's the purpose and the point of the law. That's why it was given. And this is why you'll find Jesus throughout the Old New Testament healing people on the Sabbath. Oh, he's breaking the Sabbath. What do, you do? do you know what the point of the Sabbath is? Love. Which one of you, if your donkey fell into a ditch, would not pull it out on the Sabbath? But yet you hurt, you, you come against me when I heal a man on the Sabbath? Maybe they had some tree huggers back then, I don't know. Who loved trees and whales more than they love human beings. But Jesus obviously didn't. If you pull a donkey out of a ditch, why won't you pull a human out of a ditch of its infirmities? So love is a fulfillment of the law. Verse 19, I think a lot of people just don't get this. And most of Christendom, most of visible Christianity here in America, is guilty of what verse 19 talks about. Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so, shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. So, let me give you some scenarios here. You tell me which one is right. You have one guy who tells you, we can't obey God. But he actually obeys God. You know the guy says, we can't obey God. And he doesn't obey God. We know the guy who says, we can obey God, but he doesn't obey God. And we have another guy who says, you can obey God, and he does obey God. The first three are off. But we have America full of the first three. Well, people are saying, I can't obey God. You should obey God. People are saying, you can't obey God. I don't obey God. Friends, they're least in the kingdom of heaven. And I'm not talking about they're actually going to be. They're not citizens of the kingdom of heaven. We talked about this before. What are the four parts of any kingdom? Ruler. Law. Subjects. And dominion. So these people will be least in Christ's dominion. And where do the least, because Christ's dominion of the whole universe, right? Where did the least in Christ's dominion go to? Hellfire. Why do people think that God would ever give us a command and then not give us the ability to obey it? I don't know. But it seems to me Jesus is dispelling that myth right here. If you disobey God's commandments and you're teaching others to disobey God's commandments, whether directly or indirectly by saying we have no ability to do it, you're in trouble, man. And I, I tremble before God for these people because these people do not... What are they doing? What are they saying about God and His character? 
that God would say, do this, and they say, I can't. Do this, I can't. It's more like, do this, I won't. It's really what they're saying with, I can't. They're saying, I won't. But those who do his commandments and teaches men so shall be greatest. But you know what they are to the world? These people who will be the greatest? They are, this, they are the worst in the world's eyes. In the backslidden Christian church's eyes, they're, they're the scum of the earth. They're heretics. They're Pelagians. They're any other kind of word you can think of. The worst of words that the professing Christian church can come up with, they'll call Christians these things. Who are obeying God's command and teaching others to do the same. The world has it so backwards. Even the visible Christian church has a soul backwards. The road is narrow. And I'll tell you, friends, the longer I go on this road, the narrower it gets. And my, my thinking is this, that by the end, there'll probably be a tightrope. But I'll be a trapeze artist for Jesus Christ and walk that line. Will you? For I say to you, that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you'll by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. There's people walking around today who, who won't even come up to their standard. They won't obey externally the commandments of God. And they think they're on their way to heaven. Now, there's two ways you must exceed their righteousness. You must exceed it by having your past sins forgiven. So until your sins are forgiven, friend, no matter how much obedience you obey, you bring to God. You're still not righteous in this sight. In fact, let me just read Romans 3, starting in verse 21. So even though we believe in holiness, we believe in justification by faith. And we need to make sure we have a balance here, friends. We can't go too far to one side here. Uh, so Romans 3, starting in verse 21. But now the righteousness of God, apart from the law, is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets, the whole testament now, witnesses to this, even the righteousness of God, through faith in Jesus Christ, to all and on all who believe, for there's no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth in the propitiation by His blood, through faith, to demonstrate his righteousness, because in forbearance, in his forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. To demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So to become righteous in God's sight, initially, God declares you righteous. He doesn't hold your sins against you any longer when you put your faith in Jesus Christ. At that moment, you become righteous in God's sight. You have a sincere faith. But then you must walk that faith out. And it must be a faith that produces what? Fruit. Produces works. If it doesn't produce works, it's a what kind of faith? That's right. A dead faith. So we can't go to either extreme, friends. But we must understand. We're righteous initially through the blood of Jesus Christ. But we don't stay there. We don't stay there and go keep living in sin. We give up our sin. We walk a life of holiness. A life of not external obedience only, like the Pharisees and Sadducees did, who were outside, pretty like whitewashed tomb, but full of dead man's bones inside. That clean the outside of the cup, 
which does you no good if you're going to eat in it, but the inside of the cup is filthy. God can't use a filthy sinner, a, 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 a filthy Christian for his, for his glory because the inside of their cup is still filthy. It's not good for the use it's made for. So we must, we must come to Christ by faith and by then we're purified, cleansed, and if we need cleansing in the future, we come back to Him and confess and repent. But we must live a life of holiness. Yeah, I've quoted this verse many times, I think, in this fellowship. But 1 John 3, 7, I think, says it all. Let no one deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. So there's a doing righteousness. There's a positional and a practical righteousness. And by having both and, not either or, both of them, you must have both of them, your righteousness will exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. But if you don't have the positional, you don't have the forgiveness of your sins, but you have the practical, you're not righteous in God's sight. If you say you have the positional, your past is forgiven, but you're not living practically in holiness, are you righteous in God's sight? It's both and, not either or. And that's the only way your righteousness will exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees is by having both of those positional, and practical righteousness. So who are, the, who are the real Pharisees in this world? People who say they obey God and actually do? And tell others to, to obey God too? Or is it those who actually say that they're, they're not, they say they're Christians, but they're not obeying God? Isn't it amazing how the world gets it backwards? They go to open air and we tell people, we quote the words of Jesus, tell them to live a life of obedience to God, and they call us Pharisees. The problem the Pharisees had was not obedience. The problem they had is they were hypocrites. They did not obey from the heart. They obeyed externally, and not even that for God's glory. For their own glory. They wanted men's praise. Oh, look at that guy. Hey, he's so holy. I wish I could be like him. He's so eloquent in his prayers. His prayers are so long. I couldn't pray that long. Look how much money he's giving for his tithe. They did for men's praise. We do it for God's praise. For his glory alone. So the real Pharisees in the world are those who say they're Christians, but actually don't obey God. Those are the real Pharisees. Not those who obey God. God if the Pharisees were obeying God, you think God would have a problem with them? You think God has a problem with people obeying him? No, he's a problem with people disobeying him. That's what his wrath is against. All ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. The wrath of God is against, according to Romans 1. Okay, well, we're in there for today. Does anyone have any uh, questions, objections, or anything they want to add? What's that? He said verse 19. Yeah, verse 19. Mm -hmm. uh, talking about um, the concept of hell being in heaven. Mm -hmm. right? And of course, most people, when they would hear that, they would reject it the right way, thinking that you know, some devilish place right. up there, and that, you know, hell somewhere else is separate, and the devil's in charge of hell, and that kind of faulty Good way to explain this uh, to uh, you know, people 
Right. Okay, so the question is, what is a good way to show people that the kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven, includes hell and everything else? Well, I think some things you just said were good. Uh, that you use the smoke of his torment to rise before him forever and ever. Obviously, it's a part of his kingdom. Uh, nothing is outside of God's rule. And the whole universe is his kingdom. So if we have the four parts of the kingdom right, we have a ruler or a ruling body. In this case, it would be a ruler or a ruling body with the trinity, I guess you could say. Uh, you have the, the laws of God, which we know those those are. We have the subjects, lo- loyal, lawful subjects. And then we have dominion. And dominion is the whole universe. So how can anything, if, if God is the ruler of the whole universe, how can anything be outside of his dominion? So that's the kind of reasoning I would, you would use with them. And we talked about this, if you if you, uh, if you go back through the teaching on, on this, we talked about this in the in Matthew 3. It's a message titled, The Life and... and, and uh, the life and message of John the Baptist. And we talked about the kingdom of God from heaven during that message. That was, that was what the main focus of that message was. So if you go back to those notes or go back on YouTube and watch the video again, it's titled uh, The Life and Message of John the Baptist. You'll see that we, we discussed the uh, kingdom of God from heaven and why it includes hell. <coughs> so, but God isn't by any means, I mean, it, I guess the thing they would, they would have to say is that people who disobey God and teach others to do so which is really the worst you can, the bad, worst you can get. Now, if they're going to say they're a part of heaven, then I guess the devil's a part of heaven. And who's, in, who's in hell now? Yeah, I mean, if, if the people who are, te- are breaking God's command, teaching others to do the same, if they're not in hell, who is in hell? So that leads to universalism, if you ask me. It really does. And Jesus is contrasting two different groups here. Those who don't obey, and teach others to do the same, and those who do obey, and teach others to do the same. Those are the two groups he's talking about here. There's definitely a difference as where they're going to end up in the end. <clears throat> sometimes when we see kingdom of heaven, sometimes he's talking about actually being a citizen there, a lawful, law-abiding citizen. Sometimes he's talking about the actual dominion that he's going to rule over, kingdom of heaven. And it's only then that people will actually be in hell because that, that happens at the very end. Until then, they're, they're in the lower part of Hades waiting for Judgment Day to come. And then they'll be cast into Gehenna or Lake of Fire in the end with Hades and death. So, you just got to, you know, some of these things, John, are just so hard to overcome that people have been taught wrong for so long. It's a big paradigm shift for them to give up what they've been taught. Especially if it's going to affect their life in a negative way. Right, from their perspective. Right. Right. Any other uh, questions or comments or anything anyone wants to add?